intro? Yes. Can I interest you in an intro? Yeah. Finally, the picks are all in, Andy. What are we talking about today? We're talking about some of the most befuddling picks that we saw. We're talking about the G-Men 1 through 7. And we're talking a little bit about maybe six foot seven. Somebody's bringing some height to the table. But as always, let's drop that brass. And with that, we welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast. Happy to be sitting here after the dust has settled. I'm Adam Armbrecht, and over there, of course, is Andy Mackowitz. How are you, sir? I am still on a high from Thursday night when the Giants picked Andrew Thomas at the number four pick. That's all I'm going to say to start. I think uh, we're going to, of course, dive into all the picks that the Giants made uh, from Thursday night all the way through Saturday, obviously, and uh, and maybe cover some of those emotions that we had as we did a lot of nice draft, uh, you know, draft night coverage on Sportscaster as well. Before we do dive into the specifics for the New York Football Giants, the first round, even you know, some of these other other rounds as well, some interesting selections for some teams. Were there any non-Giant moves that happened there for you that kind of caught your attention, surprised you, or? It just look like, wow, what a steal for this team. I mean, there, there's two that just pop out, and they're both quarterbacks because quarterbacks are, are, are the thing that everybody thinks about during draft time. The first is the Packers trading back into the first round to take Jordan Love. Uh, like, l- listen, I know that we are, are seeing the twilight of Aaron Rodgers' career, and you, you never really know. Like, he's one of those types of guys that doesn't care about the organization, and tomorrow could turn around and just be like, see you later and like mm-hmm. just kind of leave and right off in the sunset but you know they finished like 12 and 4 or something last year they were in the playoffs made the nfc championship game and they're spending their first round pick on a backup quarterback to me like that was almost inexcusable unless they're trying to make sure that in the next 18 months they have a smooth transition to a new qb yeah, you know, I thought about that too because obviously that was a little that, not little that was pretty surprising that they chose to do that. Like you said, you, you lose the game before having a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Um, the only thing I will say is, if you're a team, Packers or otherwise, and you identify especially especially the quarterback position, if you think that this is a guy that can develop into your franchise QB, I can't I can't you know argue against them making the move to go get him. I can understand from Aaron Rodgers' perspective being you know being a little bit like, hey, WTF friends, I I thought we came pretty close. Why not give me some more weapons? Um, but if you're if you're the Packers, and I think this is true about organizations across the NFL, one eye on this season and one eye on a few years down the road. So whatever they they maybe thought made sense for them, uh, you have to try to try to assume that they have a big picture plan. Still surprising, Ooh. Adam. Adam, yeah. the second one that I gotta say is in our division and the Philadelphia Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. in the second round with, I believe, the 53rd overall pick. And I was texting with you, and I said, is Doug Peterson drunk? Is what, is Howie Roseman asleep? Like, was it on auto pick? Like, what just happened that, that the Philadelphia Eagles took a quarterback in the second round? And you tried to walk me off the ledge, and Adam, I'm still – like. You can you convince me one more time because I'm still not buying anything that you were selling the other night. 
Oh no! Listen, and that's why I was. I liked. I liked the conclusion of our conversation when we were going back and forth on it because, you know, for me, you look at it and you say you have a quarterback who you think is incredibly talented and also has obvious injury concerns. Right now, the, as you as we parry back and forth, you brought up, but then you but you paid him one hundred twenty million, one hundred percent, right? And at for the talent level that that he is when healthy, it's hard to not keep him on your roster yet. You have to acknowledge that there's a chance season to season he may miss a handful of games or could go down at any point. So I I understood how they could convince themselves of that logic. But as as we said at the end of that conversation, my favorite part where I said, you know, they just want to make sure they have someone that can come in and play quarter, have someone to play quarterback in case uh, Carson Wentz gets injured. You said, did they do that? My response was TBD. So, you know, it, there is an element to that where it was, it's not like you drafted necessarily a sure thing or, you know, that from that point standpoint, you could be talking about throwing one, someone into the fire that's going to have a learning curve as opposed to what they had done with Nick Foles where you had, you know, quantifiable asset there. Right. And, and, and I heard a lot of these analysts that were trying to justify the pick being like, well, look at Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. They have this like backup that's this gadget guy. It's like Taysom Hill threw six passes last year. Like, He's not like he's a different player. They're like maybe Jalen Hurts will 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 line up in the tight end position or move around to wide receiver. It's like why are you wasting a second round pick on a backup quarterback that you're saying is like going to be in gadget plays for maybe like three plays a game? Like it to me, it, it screams like weird like frustration with Carson Wentz getting hurt. It it, it does, and like it's so funny because. Like saying that, okay, now we have a backup quarterback in case Carson Wentz gets hurt. It's like everyone said Jalen Hurts is not ready to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. So, like, they're conflating two different things. Like, I love Jalen Hurts, the player. I think he can be an NFL player. He might even be an NFL starting quarterback. But the Eagles, everyone's like, he, he landed in the perfect position. I'm like, I don't know if this is the right spot for anybody. Like, it's not good for Jalen Hurts. It's not good for the Eagles. It's not good for Carson Wentz. Like, I don't know who, who this is good for, to be honest. Yeah, and it's, it's a combination of a lot of things because even if you like Hurts, um, you know, going going there that high, right, especially when you look at the Eagles and you say, well, they have a lot of needs, a lot, a lot of things to fill, certainly on that roster. So when you take them in the second round, you're also talking about what other areas are you maybe not addressing. We just we talk about the Green, Green Bay Packers and how close they came. You think about the Eagles in the NFC East, we obviously know could be a very open kind of division year to year. So not necessarily bringing in a, a valuable asset is, is something that maybe some Eagles fans are scratching their head on. What do we see? Also, it also is indicative, like you said, maybe organizationally about the concerns around Carson Wentz and that's an interesting element too right it's you know we paid you 120 million but to me drafting him at the top of the second is very indicative of we we have a high level concern maybe about the longevity of Carson Wentz for our franchise right it's insane to pay someone 120 million dollars he's your franchise quarterback they say he is the future he's in his 20s and you're drafting another quarterback in the first round right after you paid him like uh, 12 months ago it it's bizarre. And and I'm going to touch back on one other pick that I mm-hmm. think is kind of crazy. And we're going to go back to the Green Bay Packers. So that's why I think they they struck out in this in this draft. In the second round, they take A.J. Dillon, who, who I have featured on this podcast saying the Giants should have featured him in the fifth round. He could have been a nice addition to the room. I think he's super talented. But they drafted two positions that they have almost all pros at already – in Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, and, and they and they double up in the first and second round. 
you'd think you'd want to get Aaron Rodgers some wide receiver help. You'd think that maybe you'd want to improve the linebacking core if you lost Fackrell, Blake Martinez, and some other people. Like, there's so many other starting positions that they could have filled, and they went quarterback when they have an all-pro potential Hall of Fame quarterback, and running back when they have a running back who, by my estimations and almost everybody else, is a top 10 to 15 running back in the league right now. All you can, if you, uh, and I'm not, it doesn't really matter to me. But if I want to, if I want to try to dress this up a little bit, or, or or not even, it's not justification, but you can maybe say if the Packers have an eye on on a year or two from now and thinking, are, have we brought in our future starting quarterback and have we brought in a running back that maybe allows us to then move on from a couple of big names on our roster right now? The reason why I disagree with that idea, that premise, is because you're talking about again a team that maybe overachieved a little bit last year but still found themselves with an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Exactly. And and that's that's the hard thing for me. Think about another team, because I'll bring up a player that was a little surprising to see him go as high as he did, and that was uh, Ruiz, the center that went to the Saints. But when you combine it with the fact that it was the Saints – you're talking about a team that is in win-now mode, wants to shore up the offensive line in front of Drew Brees. So you say, okay, you reached a little bit for this positional need, but you're talking about making your team better for a win-now mentality, whereas the Packers seem to do things that are future-looking when you're in a win-now mode, right? These, these aren't teams that came up to get a guy like either, our, ourselves. We're not the Giants coming up to get somebody, right? Not the Jaguars maybe making a move, thinking you're you're targeting certain pieces for the future. So the Packers had a very interesting one third round. They ended up going tight end, which was a need, but also you're still talking about, you know, other areas that you maybe want to address. So you're definitely right that I think the Packers are in a weird spot, especially from a, a veteran player across the board, not just Aaron Rodgers. A lot of players on that team may be upset after this draft thinking, why weren't we trying to get this team better to win now? Now, Dylan will still come in and have a, a significant role for them, I think, but you already have, uh, you know, valuable assets at that position. So those are just some of the highlights, I guess you could say, right? Some other teams did really well for themselves. Uh, I, I was, I was, concerned we sat there and watched with Keith McPherson as as the Cowboys drafted a wide receiver there in the first round gives them some real firepower so a a lot of teams had some really nice drafts for themselves obviously uh, depending on where you where you were in in the lineup of things you got some easy value picks when we go ahead no I was was just gonna say just that we talked about the terrible drafts let's let's just give credit where credit's due Mm -hmm. Gary a 250 million dollar yacht can't even touch his phone. He doesn't even like say he has someone handing him the phone so he can talk into it. And they had an incredible draft. I mean, getting CeeDee Lamb at 17, like getting him 10 picks further than where, where he was slated to go was a no brain. Like, that was like, how quickly can I write this down and, and send it up to, to Goodell? You know, the Cowboys continually during this draft ended up getting guys that were slipping 15, 20, 30 picks. You know, Tyler Baidaz, you know, the, the guy from Wisconsin, when mm-hmm. in, the, in the late fifth round, they traded back in to get him. They just hit home run after home run, and it's frustrating, you know, while the Giants, I believe, had a, had a, a very solid draft, just to see the Cowboys just kill it when mm-hmm. other times you're, like, befuddled on what they were doing. So that was, that was one team that I think killed it. The other team is I think the Baltimore Ravens had a really, really good draft. They drafted, you know, towards the back end for need. They got – you know, J.K. Dobbins, who is like an embarrassment of riches. They already have Mark Ingram. They have another guy that can that can work on the run game. They've got, you know, Lamar Jackson. They put a lot of pieces together. You know, they drafted a couple linebackers. They had an amazing draft. And you look at those two teams, it's like they're both, you know, the Ravens are are one step away from being a Super Bowl team, in my opinion. 
the Cowboys are one step away from winning the division almost every year, right? Like, so, so like those two teams had really solid drafts that make me concerned uh, for the Giants, you know? Uh, I think, yeah, Queen was a nice pickup for the, for the Ravens there in the back end of the first round. Likewise, before we do dive in on the Giants, I will say, I thought the 49ers, you know, thought maybe they were going to trade, uh, trade out of some positions. Instead, they end up using some assets, uh, you know, they, they traded back one spot with the Buccaneers from 13 to 14 and then get Kinlaw, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina, a massive value pick there for them, bolster the already very strong defense. And then towards the back end of the draft, the, the uh, first round, excuse me, they move back in to get the wide receiver, Brendan Ayuk out of Arizona state, which brings in a very valuable weapon, having had Sanders leave. So, you know, they did a nice job. there, st- staying in there, moving around a little bit in the round and, and targeting a couple of players, one on each side of the bowl and giving themselves you know tremendous value, I think. And, continuing to just go now we're not, and now we're a little bit better by the way lost in the super bowl and we got a little bit better well and, and and then they pull off a coup like midway through the draft that's not necessarily a draft pick and they go ahead and acquire trent williams mm-hmm. left tackle from the redskins for a third round pick and a fifth round pick you know a fifth round pick this year a third round pick next year and trent williams is 32 years old you know he sat out last year so there are a couple of question marks so it's not just say that he's like a top five left tackle right out of the gate, but for, for the for the value that they're getting, a third and a fifth round pick for a potential starting left tackle for the next three or four years is well worth it for them. And wait, a third and a fifth round pick. It sounds similar to other trade capital that other teams. Well, have listen, listen, listen. I, I know. Do you, Let's, do you, do you, Adam? Do you have any third and fifth round? Let's not get lost in on that one too much because we have covered it. We acknowledge that you know the Leonard Williams trade that occurred, obviously for the same assets. I will say too, you do have to if you're if you're going to use that as the measure as a measuring stick or comparison, you do have to acknowledge again Trent Williams, you're out of the league, 32 years old. You're not talking about a young asset that you're building around a win now team. And ta- now I will say because San Francisco's in a win now mode, it is interesting that they were able to get him for a three and a five. There's probably some level of of mystery that he's going to be you know healthy, ready to go. In good shape and all that but definitely worth the risk from san francisco standpoint and i think you know tampa bay for all the hype that they've gotten this offseason obviously we know around them you're going to find someone standing in your way if you think you're going to make a deep run over this next season or two in the playoffs in the nfc 49ers going to be right there and, and ironically enough we could see a garoppolo uh versus you know tom brady scenario to get to the super bowl maybe over these next couple of years which would certainly make for for some exciting exciting game late in the season in the playoffs wouldn't that be interesting to see two guys on the patriots in the afc then fight it out for the nfc championship i i, I would find that fascinating um oh. you know s- switching switching gears back to the new york giants and mm-hmm. you know we on this one giant podcast both were hoping and praying for andrew thomas we've said andrew thomas is the best tackle available I feel like we get a slight pat on the back for identifying him as the best tackle. I think I kind of get a, a C minus D plus saying that they're probably going to go with Jedrick Wills or, or Isaiah Simmons. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where if I tell you that they're going to take the guy that I really want and then it doesn't happen, I'm crushed like across the board. At least this one, if, if I would have picked one of the other guys right, but I really want an age of Thomas. I would have gotten 50-50 on this thing. But what was your takeaway from the first pick? 
I, obviously, I loved it when we were doing the live coverage. We we both, I think, had this lump in our throat about them going with Simmons and just having to adjust our, our expectations for the season and what that looked like. So when they took him, obviously, like you said, we both had him on our board as, as being the best possible tackle. I think the balance, when you talk about all the other three tackles that are there, uh, one of the reasons why I really liked Thomas as well is because of the level of competition he played against in college. And then combine that with, I think that he has the highest floor May not have, there could be, you could make an argument that one of these other tackles could have a potential higher ceiling, but in terms of setting the baseline of, of what this player is going to be for us, that's why I really wanted him because you talk about plug him in, know you're getting consistency, know exactly what you feel like you're going to get out of him. So incredible value. I love that we went that way. And I think, you know, read between the lines, all the speculation, that stuff. When, when Gettleman said offensive line is a priority, that's what we're going to attack. That's all that, that's what he did, right? There wasn't a lot of chatter out of the Giants about Isaiah Simmons. All that speculation felt like it came from the outside in. So them locking up Thomas at the fourth overall pick, I thought was just fantastic. Start to fix that line, keep it healthy in front of Daniel Jones. Well, the, Adam, the the one the one thing about this, and, and this is what I always came back to with Andrew Thomas, is he was the most left tackle mm-hmm. ready of the four guys that we've been talking about because he played it. In the SEC for multiple years, when you look at Tristan Wirfs, they're like, maybe he's a guard. They're looking at Beckton. They're like, oh, he played in the ACC, only had one year. You look at look at Wills, it's like, oh, well, he was protecting uh, Tua's right side, which is kind of his left side. It's like all, all these different excuses. It's like Andrew Thomas played left tackle multiple years in the SEC and dominated Guys that got drafted in the top 10. If you watch some of the video, you know, we've sent some things back and forth of him <laughs> knocking around Josh Allen from Kentucky. Like, it was unbelievable to see the strength and power that he has. And you know what? I'm just happy that we made the right choice. And I haven't felt that way in a long time. But this was a great pick for the Giants. It And, and the last thing that, I, that I'll say, and you kind of alluded to it, is it opened up the rest of the draft for us to be able to take the best player available. I feel that if we took Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda or went a different way, then we were locked into having to take an offensive tackle in the second round, no matter what, whether it was Ezra Cleveland, Isaiah Wilson, like we would have had to make that choice Mm. and we would have given up some valuable draft assets that I think we ended up hitting a home run in the second round because we took Andrew Thomas in the first. Yeah, uh, I think you're 100% right. As we turn our attention over to the 36th pick, that 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 idea of address tackle first, and then that way, even though we talked about that idea of would the Giants try to move around around the board a little bit, possibly trade down at some point. To to your to your uh, point there, if you don't go with tackle in the first round, then you're maybe even making the case of do we need to package up our second round pick with another asset to get back into the first round to make sure we get one of these tackles, a tackle that we think is a little bit diminished in terms of value and skill set coming right into year one and playing at the NFL level. So. I love the first round pick at the top of the second there. This is where we can have a little bit of speculation. There was some chatter around trade opportunities at the top of the draft. I'm not really worried about that, but in the second round, we're sitting there at the fourth overall pick and there were offers coming there uh, for the giants to potentially trade down. And as we're highlighting here on the video coverage of this, but people can just hear me name some of these out. Potentially we had those trade down opportunities in a mid second and a mid third in terms of getting collateral back. You go around that 10th to 12th range uh, Browns moved a little bit in the second round, but you would have been saying you could have maybe gotten a grant Dell pit at that point in the second round, potentially Uh, you want to take a look at even a Winfield jr. At the safety position. And when you, 
you turn it over just briefly here in the third round, same type of range, 10th pick or so overall, that's where you maybe could have looked at a Zach Vaughn if you wanted to. I wasn't that high on him, but you just think about being able to get two assets in the door. What ends up happening is the Giants are sitting there. Xavier McKinney rated on most boards to be a mid first round grade as far as talent, the clear cut best safety in this draft in terms of overall skill and, and, and readiness to play at the NFL, NFL level, the impact he can have in a lot of different situations. And that's where the Giants get to say too talented, too much value position of need. Don't worry about it. We're not looking to trade down here, lock it in and we're going to take McKinney. Or, or were you ecstatic about that? Did you wish they had maybe looked at those trade downs? And when you think about maybe if I said you could have had Del Pitt and Vaughn by trading back versus having just McKinney, what's your reaction to that? I think the first two picks for the New York Giants were absolute home runs. Like there's mm-hmm. no other way around it. Like Andrew Thomas, you lock in your offensive tackle. You lock in presumably your left tackle for the next 10 years something the Giants haven't been able to say for over a decade, right? So, like, now having that locked in, you go into this, and and with the 36th pick, you're sitting there saying, man, we already got our offensive tackle. We don't necessarily have to reach for one now. Let's let's look at who's the best player available. And there's three things. It's talent, it's need, and it's best player available. Like, you you put those three things together – and Xavier McKinney was ranked number 19 on every, like, you know, between 15 and 20 on almost every board. Composite said he was 19. And we're sitting there at 36. And we have a need at safety. And what's crazy is the versatility that everyone said that Isaiah Simmons was going to provide for the Giants. Xavier McKinney almost provides similar ability to be flexible. You now have Jabril Peppers and Xavier McKinney. And you can move them around. You know, Xavier McKinney can play almost five different positions in the secondary, you know, linebacking positions. He can come up and he can blitz. He is like the perfect pick for the New York Giants after they passed on Isaiah Simmons. I could not have been happier and would have been frustrated if they traded out and didn't take him. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you, you highlight there that, that composite grade of being a top 20 talent. Basically, that that's the automatic consensus from everybody. So then you talk about, we just got a guy nearly twice as far back in the draft as where he was projected to go or where his talent level is, uh, and we were able to get him at 36. Combine that with the fact that that means you then got two top 20 talents in, in the first two rounds of the draft, and you lock up two positions of need. So I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm excited to see how that impacts the ability to take Julian Love and use him around the secondary in a lot of different roles as well and it, and it obviously helps to create more depth at the cornerback position across across the board at the same time we flip ourselves over into the third round the long wait is there we talked about with the giants maybe package and move up a little bit at that point too i think to, to what we mentioned just previously because you lock up these two positions you're also not necessarily pressured to, to need to make a move to target a particular player now again as we highlighted at the top Gettleman said, that's it. It's time to address the offensive line. And one of the things that, that we talked about briefly on our on our final draft preview was the idea of, don't forget, it's not just about starting offensive linemen. It's also about the depth. And that's not what I'm saying about 99 here in terms of, of what you can think of him going forward. But you needed multiple bodies in the door, right? There's a reason why Nick Gates was the only man called upon when a tackle went down. 
when a guard went down. You know, there, you didn't have a lot of other options there. So at 99, the Giants are able to pick up the tackle. Pert, uh, we're, we didn't do this for the first couple of picks, but he has a 6.14 prospect grade. And essentially anything above a six typically means could start out as a backup, but is projected to be a starter in the NFL. You get above 6.3, you're talking about will be a starter within the first two years. So he grades out to be a starter for the Giants within a couple of years, most likely. 6'7", 318, long arms, athletic build smooth lateral movement can change direction and uh, adjust well to targets in space in terms of pulling and looking to accomplish the run game a four-year starter as well has swing tackle potential right out of the gate and again a very athletic prospect as well the if you want to go knocks on him we want to provide balance he will need to get stronger does need to stay disciplined and will need to develop his technique a little bit so sometimes just you know footwork hand placement when you're getting into the chest of a defender those sorts of things but your thoughts on taking pert and how that can project to help this offensive line yeah so i think the first thing that i think about is not the pick. I think about the the such a long wait that we have from <laughs> yeah. the second round pick to the third round compensatory pick, and you see so many talented players come off the board. It was painful to see different wide receivers, different edge rushers come off the board. That you know, wide receiver wasn't necessarily a need for the Giants, but it was a luxury pick that could have paid off. You know, edge rusher, obviously, we still haven't necessarily addressed that, and we'll get back, and we'll, we can get back to that later. It just, that that wait was so long that there was there was a group of 30 guys that I'm like, I would love any of these guys. And they just weren't there when it came around because there's so many picks between early second and compensatory third. So that was, that was the first thing that I thought. The second thing is, I, I kind of thought after we, we took Andrew Thomas that we would go in a different direction, maybe go linebacker maybe maybe go wide receiver I thought there was a couple of guys out there and they went with Pert and the, the one thing I will say is I'm excited that the Giants basically said look our offensive line is terrible like let's just call a spade a spade and like we can piecemeal this thing together or we can just invest this entire year into making our offensive line better knowing that our two cornerstones of our franchise are standing behind that offensive line. And so for me, like, you know, Pert, he has some challenges. You know, he played at UConn. It's not necessarily a big-time school. He has some technique issues. They're saying he's a reclamation, you know, uh, a work in progress, a, mm-hmm. a, one of those types of offensive tackles, which Dave Gettleman kind of alluded to before the draft that he wasn't going to go after, right? So, like, there's a lot of mixed messages that the Giants were giving. I like him as a player. I, I like the idea of bringing him in. I do find a little bit in the third round, like he may not start right away. If he starts right away, that means we either are cutting Nate Solder, Cam Fleming doesn't look good, or like Nick Gates hasn't really paid. Like, like something has happened where now all of a sudden we need this guy to start in, in the third round when there's other players in the third round that might have actually started for the Giants right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that it indicates to you, obviously, that the confidence in Nate Soldier is very low, even within the organization. Fleming is on a one-year deal. That's a veteran just to have presence there. I think that that's important to have some depth. You do have Nick Gates. I think that Nick Gates, I, I, you know, we will get over this whole draft here, but Nick Gates represents, I think, value depth across the entire board. Obviously, if you need someone to step in. Um, I, You know, I think that if, the, you know, Pert, if he came into camp and showed enough and you wanted to start him, I, I think that the upside is there. But I think that ultimately what you're looking at with him is, doesn't need to start, but I would think that the Giants look at him and say, 
going into the following season, we expect him to be ready after we have a little bit of time to develop him, refine out some of those areas that he may need some some work on, and that's okay with me. The, the harder thing, I think, to your point is when you have that big gap from the top of the second all the way to compensatory in the third, you do just see a lot of value go off the board, and I, I think what you have to accept is just that that wasn't going to be, you know, that was going to be the case. There's nothing we can do about it, and so at that point, you're just talking about continuing to address the areas of need, and I really... I, I, I like this pick. At the end of the day, I really liked this selection. I think it's a good spot for it. And, and to your point, we knew that third round is the is the meaty part of the draft when you talk about edge rushers and just accepting that unless you were going to do a lot of packaging up to, to maybe target one key edge rush need, then you weren't going to be able to fill out this roster which, with as much depth as you were able to. And this is the acknowledgement, right? We're not just a, a, a team that struggled. We're also a team that doesn't have a depth of talent or a reasonable talent across the board, and that's why I think all these assets were used. Right, and and Adam, yeah, I, I agree with you, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the offensive line as we go through uh, a little bit more in the draft, but fourth-round pick, New York Giants. You know, after that compensatory pick, we actually come back and pick only like 11 or 11 picks later, so like the wait wasn't as long this time, which, which felt good, and there was still a ton of talent on the board. And the Giants selected Darnay Holmes, the cornerback from UCLA, who admittedly for me, I hadn't done much research on. Like he he was ranked like in the 250s. Like he was kind of a really, really late cornerback. And I I thought to myself that we've short short up a little bit of the cornerback position. What was your take on the Giants going Darnay Holmes in the, in the fourth? Surprise, a, a quick footnote here, because I'm going to say this a few times. Pert, uh, team captain at the college level. Mentioning it now, because you're going to hear us say, uh, say that a few more times throughout our, our, our coverage here. Holmes, surprised for sure. Like, knew, knew the name, didn't didn't know the name for the fourth round, and, and certainly didn't know a lot about him. Comes out with a near six-point prospect grade, has, all, has developmental traits, could start out as a backup and develop into a starter. So you're talking about starter potential. Um, listen, he ran a 4-4, 45, 10, 195 pounds. Has great worth ethic, strong, aggressive player, consistent effort, consistent tackler, uh, locates the ball well, also has kick turner potential in him at the same time. So think about Joe Judge and, and you know doubling down on the special teams. That's a theme about a lot of these other players here, linebackers and cornerbacks that are going to be contributors to help elevate that area of the team. Uh, areas to work on, has some tight hips, gets turned around a little bit in routes and uh, does not do a great job anticipating routes from the wide receiver. So areas to work on. I was surprised by it a hundred percent. I looked at a lot of different areas that I thought the giants were going to go there. But again, with the turnover of coaching staff, new scheme, I look at this and assume it's about creating competition at some of these positions where you have players like a Sam Beal who showed some flashes last year, but we don't know what he's going to be, right? Already three years into his NFL career. So, uh, you know, you look across the depth chart of the Giants as well. This creates some depth and some competition. And I do think within the first couple of years here, you're going to see him competing for some for some quality reps on the field for the Giants. Well, and a couple other t- you know, tidbits about Holmes is uh... – you know, he went to UCLA. He graduated in two and a half years from UCLA. He took 31 credits over the summer, one summer. Think about it. Yeah. Think about that. 31 credits. Like all of us college guys were like, oh, do I want to do 18 credits and really stretch myself? Because then I'll have five. <laughs> or should I take like 15 or 16 and then maybe take like one course over the summer? He's like, no, I'm going to do 31 court, like credits over the summer. That is literally like a jam-packed schedule, and he wanted to finish early to get his degree and then go pro. Like 
that's I, I, I mean, maybe that matters to some people, but I think when we talk about leaders, guys that care about getting their degree, like it's something about building a culture. I, I find that fascinating about him. So that was one little tidbit that I had. You know, the second one is in 2018, he, he was really, really good. And he graded out very high. He struggled a little bit in 2019. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag with him. But this does, this does to your point, put, you know, Grant Haley and Sam Beal directly in, 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 the, in the crosshairs to say, mm-hmm. guys, we're bringing in competition. If you're ready to bring it and you're ready to take those next steps, then, then you're pushing these guys to the practice squad. But we need to bring in talent to challenge and, and be competitive because we need help at the, at the slot, you know, safety, uh, the nickel safety position, slot safety position, whatever you want to say. We need three or four cornerbacks that are going to be really productive on game day. Which one of you guys is going to step up? Yeah, and I think, again, that, that footnote about special teams value as well, right? Because if you are a guy, you want to see you step up, want to see you competing, getting reps, and and then also we want to see you doing something else for us. And I think that that's going to be a focal point about players that are maybe third, fourth, or fifth in terms of the you know the, the cornerback room. You're a little bit lower on the depth chart? Great. That means you can go out and be a gunner for us. That means you can be blocking, getting downfield and tackling. So that's the double down there as well. Just to be clear, I sometimes thought about maybe 12 credits was probably the better – the better case for me. I mean, because uh, why overtax myself? 18 is stretching yourself. This is a guy who's taking 31 credits over the summer. In- incredible. Adam, so, yeah. but as we, as we move to the next pick, because obviously we want to get through everyone and we want to kind of have a little bit of, of, a, of a rundown here. Yeah. In the fifth round, with the 150th pick, there's still a bunch of players out there at different positions. We're looking at, uh, you know, you and I are texting about wide receiver. We're, we're looking at linebacker mm-hmm. and, and the giants, go Shane Lemieux from Oregon with the 150th pick offensive line guard, maybe center, like kind of an interesting pick. What was your take? Uh, again, well, right behind him, one of the guys that you pointed out to me while we were watching the, the, the live draft coverage there was uh, the wide receiver Reed out of Virginia tech or just Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, he was a, he's kind of a Swiss army knife kind of wide receiver. I thought good value pick again, tying into special teams value as well. Instead they go with, they go with Lemieux again, plus a plus six prospect grade. So backup can again, backup could be a starter for you. So th- th- this is where I think you're talking about Gettleman looking at this area of the draft and saying, we're getting real value in terms of fixing the line, creating depth on the line. And because you talk about guard slash moving into center, I think that they liked a lot of his traits to kick inside and potentially become the starting center for the Giants. 6'4", 3'10", you know, pushes and sustains well at the second level in terms of the run game, moves through to the second level very well, takes on the linebackers. He resets his hands and re-engages and recovers well if he initially gets beat. And then you're talking about the, the knocks on him, maybe shorter arms, which would mean good good guy to kick into center potentially, uh, lacks some some lateral movement, not as necessarily crucial at center. And then uh, just the, the last little tidbit was pl- uh, punch placement can be a little bit erratic in terms of engaging properly. Again, I, I like it. You know, and the, 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 as we move through the draft, the, 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 the small thought, I'm not going to talk, talk it up like I knew it, but the thought that I started to realize was they really wanted to fix the offensive line. That, that was the biggest focus. And you know what? We've complained about it for so many years that from a starter and developmental and depth perspective, I, I kept getting more and more excited about the choices they were making. 
So the the other tidbits I'll give you with Shane Lemieux, you know, Walt, Walter Football is is one of the guys that that we followed during the pre draft process. Mm-hmm. One, one of the many tools that we use, and shout out to Walter Football, like they do a great job. They had Shane Lemieux ranked from uh, a two to second round to a fifth round pick. They were mm-hmm. like, could go as high as like thirty five to forty with his skill set if a team really wants him. You know, the the second thing is. People come out and they say he is that hog molly mauler. Like he likes to hit people. He likes to tackle. He yeah. likes to get down and dirty in the trenches. And that's a guy like, you know, we, we have, you know, Hernandez already on the, on the, on the left side as a guard that kind of has that pit bull mentality. We have another guy for depth that feels very similar where he's like, I'm going to mess some things up here and I'm going to, I'm going to not make people happy about it. And he wants to do that. And, if you look at some of the different Instagram videos leading up to the draft and, and, and some things that were posted on Twitter, he has been practicing playing center. And that just brings this versatility to the New York Giants offensive line that we haven't had in five, seven, ten years. You know, and, and I think this is one of those times you brought it up earlier. It's thinking about the future for the New York Giants. It's not about this season. It's about the next three years, the next five years. Do we have people that can step in and play – and that's kind of what Pert does. That's what Lemieux does. Andrew Thomas should be there for 10 years. We're talking about guys that should be able to compete for starting roles for the next 10 years. And, and we've never had that competition behind some of these veterans that have been relatively mediocre. Yeah, 100%. A barrel-chested is one of the words they used to describe this guy, and that's what's so typical of, of a center kind of position. And to your point, think about in, in in two years, and I'm not saying that it won't happen next year or it couldn't happen this season. I think Lemieux will very much be in the mix to start at center if that's the way they bring him into camp. But two years from now, you could be talking about Pert and Lemieux with Hernandez and Thomas on this line. So the rebuild is in full effect. As we turn our page over here and take a look at what becomes a six-round pick, the one thing I did want to just – I'll briefly mention this because I know you and I were going back and forth about center, right? And you had liked Hennessy. Uh, I can't remember who came up to get him, kind of jumped over top of Cushenberry. Cushenberry falls, fell significantly there. I started to say it, and, and as the draft was unfolding, I said if Ruiz was your guy and you were able to target him and get him, even if you wanted to take him at the top of the second, and that's how it shook out fine, everybody – after that and I think the draft indicated this was really just a mixed bag of potential anything from the second all the way to the fifth round potential at these positions and that's why you saw so much fluctuation um but but beyond that another team captain at the collegiate level and that's Cam Brown the linebacker we grabbed him in the fifth round again a near six projection uh lateral coverage is a long line long lanky linebacker a playmaker a very capable blitzer up the gut and off the edge he's good good in chasing down runs and works through the target with his tackles needs to get stronger uh needs to have add mass and also needs to improve his tackling and will not be a factor in terms of zone defense you're not going to want him dropping back into coverage areas because he will get passed over by tight ends or running backs out of the backfield potentially another guy that i didn't know a lot about coming into this to be totally up front um this one i was a little bit shaky on but i like some of those extra qualities right having been a team captain so what were your takeaways on him because this was one that i thought was a you know borderline i was okay with it so I think situationally Cam Brown can be good. He's from linebacker university, AKA Penn state. Mm-hmm. I think to, to me, Adam, and, and, and not to, not to really, you know, not give these people dues, mm-hmm. but with the last f- four out of five picks, 
the New York Giants selected linebackers, right? And so, like, you talk about Cam Brown in the sixth round, but then in the seventh, they go back with Carter Coughlin. In the seventh, they go back with TJ Brunson from South Carolina. With the the last pick of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, they go Tay Crowder from, from Georgia. Mm-hmm. The, the New York Giants made it, made it a point at the end, after they've solidified the offensive line, to go say, we are playing a 3-4 defense. We have a ton of linebacking needs. You know, we did sign Mayo back to a contract. We do have Fackrell. We have Blake Martinez. We have all these, you know, X-Men. We, we have all these different pieces. We need as many linebacking pieces as we can possibly have. And we need to hit on one of these guys at the end. So, I, you know, I, I don't mean to diminish each of these guys getting drafted, but we're talking about this six-round pick and then three seven-round picks all being linebackers. They're basically saying, we're drafting all four because one of these guys we're hoping is at least a rotational player for us this year, right? Well, I'll say because we can we can throw in they drafted uh, Chris Williamson, the cornerback, in the seventh round as well, just to cover that player. Again, these are guys I think some special teamers. Brunson was a team captain as well, so the Giants got a lot of high character guys, which is what Gettleman always talks about, and certainly uh, what Joe Judge spoke to in his in his initial press conference. Um, what I will say is uh, the last player that I'm going to do an in-depth highlight on that is Carter Coughlin. I talked about him on the podcast. I talked about him in our mock drafts. I think that you talk about this group of players. I think that Carter Coughlin is a legitimate value that the Giants got. I think that's going to be a steal. I, I really do. When you talk about his measurables, uh, you know, four ran a four five forty high football IQ. They had him as a sixth seventh round talent on most draft boards. So you're not talking about a guy that fell drastically or anything like that. But he shows play recognition, explodes at the point of attack, can drop into coverage, so he can pick up a running back or a tight end. Certainly, uh, coming off the line of scrimmage, he alters rush speed and approach. He has multiple looks and moves that he can use to try to get after the quarterback. While he does struggle to shed blockers and will need to add strength, uh, I really like him. And I think the distinction that I would make, I I understand bringing these guys into the room, but I talked about this w- with another friend of mine uh, following up on the draft. I would expect that when you come into this upcoming season, you will see Cam Brown on the field in sub packages for 15 to 20% reps over the course of the season. And I, and I honestly believe that when you talk about Carter Coughlin, the idea for the Giants would be to have Martinez with a healthy Ryan Connolly back on the field starting in the middle of this linebacking core. Right behind them is going to be David Mayo, and I think it's going to be Carter Coughlin. And I think you're going to see Carter Coughlin getting 30 to 35% of the reps over the course of this season. I think that he situationally and from a skill set standpoint represents a difference than what we currently have. I think Ryan Connolly, in terms of speed and acumen, that's what he showed us. That's what I think Carter Coughlin can be for us. And I, you know, maybe I'm going out on a limb for it, but I'll hang my hat on the fact that I really do think you're going to look back in the middle of this season and really feel like we got an incredible value in Carter Coughlin in the seventh round of this draft. So what does that mean for Fackrell, who we just signed? And what does that mean for the X-Man? Like, no, so when- there are other linebackers like, you just painted a picture where neither of those guys are, are even in your your purview. No, 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 not not at all, not at all. When you go to go over to the depth chart for the New York Football Giants, right now as it stands, they have Fackerel at the will linebacker position with Mayo and Martinez in the middle, and then Lorenzo Carter uh, on the strong side for them in this three four system. Look behind them though. We said Ryan Connolly, maybe he shifts up and plays alongside and switches with Mayo. Toa Effa, Chris Peace, 
Go behind him right now where you find Tay Crowder, Brunson, and Coughlin is listed. You know, they just got drafted, so you're not going to get right. much else there. But Peace and, uh, and Toa Effa, those guys fall down the depth chart. I believe that you're going to, I believe that you will see Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin overtake on the depth chart. Again, talking about raising the level of our depth chart play here and getting better at these positions. Those guys are going to be behind them. And unlike when you thought if peace was on the field and that's not a knock on the player or the, or the individual, but it wasn't exact, they didn't inspire confidence. I think that these are players that when you need to spell starters in this upcoming season, you're going to have a little bit of confidence about what these guys can produce for you. Out of the two, I think Cam Brown could use a little bit of coaching up and development in certain areas. And while Coughlin needs to get a little bigger, a little stronger, he has good natural instincts and, and IQ to be able to just get put into the fire and make a couple plays. Again, just kind of that similar Ryan Connolly, what you saw him flash before his injury. Yeah, and, and listen – I can fully appreciate that. And the nice thing is seven round picks uh, that, that come in, they're, they're kind of on the edge, right? Mm-hmm. Like we only have a 53 man roster. We can bring 90 to camp. So you can kind of fill that void with 40 guys that may make the roster may not mm-hmm. and show me something. And that's really what seventh round guys do. And, and what I find interesting is, you know, more almost more interesting than what the Giants did in the seventh round is the undrafted free agents that the Giants brought in, right? So there there is yeah. a multitude of guys that they ended up signing, which are are what 10, 15 picks, 20, 30 picks away from some of the guys that we're talking about. So we're talking about very minuscule differences in terms of being a seventh round or an undrafted guy. Was there anyone um that the Giants signed as an undrafted free agent that you're saying? Look for this guy. There's a chance he could make the roster, or this is an interesting pick. Yeah. Um. Listen, we we highlight how we thought. Will the Giants go after wide receiver at some point? That didn't really happen for them. They signed a multitude of the wide receivers. And, and by the way, when you took a look at these guys, all of them were either seventh round or priority free agent targets. So I thought that 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 was a, a nice thing that the players that the Giants were targeting also had that kind of tag of you want to make these guys important. You want to be able to have them, whether it's on the practice squad or pushing guys uh, during the, 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 the training camp period. So that was nice. As we were working through the sixth and seventh rounds, one of the wide receivers that I thought uh, was worth the Giants taking a look at potentially even before the draft concluded, and that was Austin Mack out of Ohio State. 6'1", 208, so not necessarily the big body that we had talked about potentially wanting the Giants to add, but ran a four five forty. And all the indications were never crested 400 yards or four touchdowns in any of his collegiate seasons, but has all the tools to be a guy that could have done more, right? And now you can say that's a little bit of that boomer bust possibility, but I think if you bring him in as a free agent after the draft and just say, hey, let's bring you to camp, let's try to develop you, maybe you end up spending a year even on the practice squad, but there could be a, you know, a developmental, enough of the baseline skills that you want to have there. What were one of the, the players for you that you thought, wow, you know, n- nice pickup here after the draft concluded. Well, I mean, a lot of these guys I hadn't done that much research on, to be honest with you. If if they weren't, you know, some of these guys were priority drafts. I was I was looking at the fourth, fifth, sixth round mm-hmm. to get value. W- one of the guys that's really interesting to me is is Rising John. So Rising John went to Simon Fraser University in British Columbia. He is a wide receiver for the New York New York football giants right now. He is six foot seven, 230 pounds and is a wide receiver. <clears throat> and there was a couple, you know, the, the, the very few 
uh, handheld iPhone videos that you can get of this guy playing. He's going up high pointing the ball in the end zone. He's, he's running all over the place. And <clears throat> I thought to myself, man, six, seven, two thirty. that can, <laughs> that can run. Like, I don't know. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? Uh, no idea, but he's a very interesting prospect to me for, for the New York football giants. He played 10 games last year, had 10 touchdowns in British Columbia, like with, me throwing the ball to him right so like at this point I, I don't know it's just really interesting when I see someone with measurables that I've never really seen could he be Ramsey's Barton you know right. from a few years ago who didn't really do anything from 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 Cal Folgerson I, I believe it's like I don't know but that's really interesting to get this guy and like see what he does and he does get listed as wide receiver slash tight end so I think those those measurables think oh maybe he could flex into that you know, this sounds a lot like uh, to give give our listeners a bit of a throwback. This sounds like he could be your Alonzo Russell. You know, last year I loved Alonzo Russell. I thought he deserved a chance. You want to see him you know, stay on the roster. He went into some nice XFL success in their brief rebirth and unfortunate demise. Um, but but that sounds like this is a guy that you'll be you'll at, least, at the very least be keeping an eye on, and you'll be curious to hear what they're saying at a training camp. Six foot seven, <laughs> like. If this guy doesn't jump off, like he kind of, and, and this may be a terrible, and people might roast me for this, but he reminds me of like Darren Waller of the Oakland Raiders, like during like hard knocks where it's like, this guy is crazy athletic. He's just like either never been known or had some issues or whatever. And then all of a sudden you see him play and you're like, who is this guy? Like he's making crazy catches all over the field. I, 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 I'm probably spending too much time on Ryzen Jones. But I just want to tell you that I find it fascinating that, like, there's never been a wide receiver that's been in the league for, like, more than two or three years that is over six foot six. Like, six foot seven is such an enormous guy. He'd have to switch to probably tight end. But I, I just find it fascinating. I love when the Giants sign some of these different guys to, to really test out and just see, like, what does our team chemistry look like? What does our makeup look like if we have these different dynamics? And that And that was one. I know – I don't know if you want to talk about it, but you talked a little bit about the running back from Maryland that that they the Giants signed uh, as an undrafted free agent, and and you were a little bit excited about that too, right? Yeah, you know, listen, I just think that if you're going to find yourself in a position where you know, again, these priority free agents, and then it's about the practice squad and trying to develop them. This is just the guy that when you go back and take a look at, at where he came from, played at Maryland, so he played some significant football. This isn't a uh, to your point about the tight end, right? Some guys come out of small schools, and based on what you see on tape, it's hard to judge who was throwing them the passes. What were the schemes? What's the talent potentially in front of them? Instead, what you end up getting with a guy like uh, like Leak is he was a borderline. Just to reference those those, pro, those, uh, those profile ratings, a borderline six. So you're talking about developmental could be a starter in the league. Six foot two fifteen. Listen, ran a four six five forty. That's not what he's that's not what he's supposed to do. But he's an elite playmaker. Uh, it has lead playmaker ability, excuse me. He averaged uh, one rushing touchdown every 8.5 career carries, uh, averaged 7.2 yards per carry You know, at the college level, runs with good instincts, good pace on the outside as well. So I, I just thought that 
when you talk about, again, taking a flyer on a player, this is where you like to see maybe bringing a guy that can come up. We know Wayne Gallman could potentially be on his way out, depending on how training camp goes. And not unlike John Hilleman last year, sign a priority target in free agency because of a diminished evaluation of, of, of the running back position. I think you, at the very least, you'll see him on the practice squad and doing the scout work and helping this team get better. But he has all the, the, the college-level experience to hope to, to he has all that 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 ability to become a contributor at the NFL level and to be able to do that after the draft is, is a big coup for the Giants I think yeah and and Adam I, I you know there's there's about eight or nine other guys that that have signed uh, undrafted free agent contracts with, with the Giants we don't need to go into detail a couple tight ends offensive tackles the yep. edge rushers you know the, the Giants have kind of made sure that they've filled up their 90 man roster. To, to be able to really have these guys come in and compete. And one of the things I love that Joe Judge said, and he has said all the right things since being the Giants coach, is I don't want the 53 best players. I want the 53 best guys that make up a team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, he's like, give me give me the guys that, that come together as a team, not just the 53 best talent and smash them together. And that's really what he's trying to do. And, and you alluded to it earlier. You're talking about guys that were team captains, drafting the fourth and fifth round. He's looking for guys that are leaders that want to come together to accomplish something greater than just me guys that want to be like, I have the most tackles. I have the most interceptions. I have the most touchdowns, right? You know what I thought as, as we tie up our, our, our post draft wrap up here, I thought that this draft represented both Dave Gettleman in terms of, I like to live in the, you know, live in the trenches, fix the offensive line. But I really, it really felt like Joe judge's fingerprints were all over this in terms of, of what he wants this team to look like, how he wants the locker room to be built. And that's why I, I loved a lot of these selections based on even some of the intangibles that these players bring to the roster to, to tie a bow on this bad boy, as they say, wh- what is your overall, I, I you know, there, there's been a lot of stuff talked about this, grades, right? It, it, on a scale of, of A to Z, on, on a 1 to 10, on an apples to oranges, you know, there's so many barometers of this, and we know we're not going to know for, for a couple of years down the line, really, how this shakes out. But some of the grades that we got, even on that back end, I mentioned Carter Coughlin, obviously. He got an A grade in terms of value when we drafted him, even a B minus for a player like Chris Williamson, the cornerback we took in the seventh. Is there, I'll, we'll put it this way, after McKinney and after Thomas, obviously, Carter Coughlin, I think, is my favorite selection the Giants made. Is there a player that you really love that they took in the, in the, in the third to seventh round range? And what's your overall grade? however you want to quantify it, even just from do you feel okay to you feel really good about it? No, to be honest with you, there wasn't there wasn't a player after the first two rounds that I felt that we should have gotten that guy. Or I'm, I was mm-hmm. very excited. There was a lot of guys that I hadn't done a lot of research on because they weren't even in the top 250 of, of, of the majority of rankings, which shows that Giants were really doing their homework and doing their research. Um, you know, after looking at this, I kind of like the Shane Lemieux pick. I, I I didn't like it right away. I thought, why are we not grabbing a wide receiver when there's a bunch out there? And then all of a sudden people are like, this guy's a mauler. He's a uh, second-team All-American guard. He can play multiple positions. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in on this guy now. Like, this this makes a ton of sense. If I had to give a Giants a grade, uh, if you want it at a 10, I'll give, okay. him, eight, I'll give him an 8.5. I, I think Gettleman and Judge did – exactly what they needed to do on the front end. They took an offensive tackle. They got the best player available in the second round, which just happened to be an area of need for the Giants. And then they methodically went through the next couple rounds and got 
cornerback help, more line help, and then they went with lotto tickets at linebacker. So for me, like, they need to help the defense. They definitely did that. They need to help the offensive line. They definitely did that. We said maybe tight end would be fun. Getting Thaddeus Moss would have been fun. Wide receiver is a luxury pick. They didn't do any of that stuff. They went for the needs. And to me, 8.5 out of 10 seems right. Yeah, as I like to – I think about it as this was the the non-sexy, you know, this wasn't a sexy draft for the Giants, but it was probably the right draft for the Giants. Fill these needs, you know, fix your depth, address what is the most important thing. And after years where they didn't really take care of Eli Manning on the offensive line, they, they, they clearly made all the effort to say, we have Daniel Jones, we saw him last year, we believe in him, we still have Saquon Barkley, obviously, we're going to do what's necessary to make sure that we're protecting him, providing, some play, you know, people, people said, look how look how, how great uh, Barkley did even with a bad line, why over invest? And it was like, think about what he could do with a good line, you know, with an average line even. So that, that I think was a real point of emphasis too. It's not about just quarterback play, but also the weapons that you have. And you said 8, 8.5 feels perfectly good for me. And the footnote that I'll leave people with is one of the things they talked about is a scheme shift on the offensive side of the ball and talking about allowing a player like Hernandez who came in as a mauler in the run game to start to do more of that. One of the failings they said from Pat Shermer's standpoint was he wanted to do a lot of spreading out, right? A lot of pulling guards. And now, as Joe Judge highlighted, I want players to do what they do best. That's what I think you can expect from, from the draftees that they had and also talent that's currently on the roster. So that's what I'll be excited about seeing, too, this upcoming season. Yeah, and, and Adam, I think the other thing uh, that I'm realizing is, you know, with Joe Judge being a special teams guy, I don't want to be cliche in saying it, but – he is thinking about guys that can play multiple positions yep. and do multiple things for the New York Giants. Can If you're not a starter, you're the next backup, but you also are exceptional at special teams. Like He's thinking about these things, and, and you can see it through some of the draft with, with the linebackers he picked, the cornerbacks. Like He is thinking about this. They signed Nate Ebner for a reason. Like yeah. It is interesting how he's building out this roster, and I got to say, I love the way he's carrying himself. He has such great demeanor. When they ask him questions, he doesn't give any like trade secrets away, and he's very smart about that. But he does give enough personality where he's engaging with the media, which is what we love. Like, give me a little bit of stuff. Like the Belichick side of things, where like you literally give nothing to anyone ever, is terrible. But like. Listen, you don't want to give me any of your strategy, but give me a little bit of your personality or what you're thinking about building a team. Mm -hmm. Like That is interesting to me, and and it it seems like Joe Judge has moved away from Belichick a little bit and is putting his own personality on being the head coach of the Giants, and I love it. Right. He's not doing a Belichick impression. He's he's being Joe Judge, and that's what you want from your head coach. So that does it, folks. We we covered rounds one to seven. We both agree. It's it's four out of five stars. It's eight and a half out of ten. It's six six cookies out of out of eleven. Whatever you want to judge it by. I think we're excited about the players that the Giants brought in. We'll of course start to dive in on on, on how the depth chart's going to shake out and what we can expect as they move towards training camp and what news has come out about how that's going to look this offseason. Because again, there, there's obviously still some impact from what is currently going on uh, with the COVID-19, we'll call it a situation. Beyond that, friends, follow us on social media, obviously, at One Giant Podcast. We'll start to do some highlights around these draft players and break them down as we move forward. Uh, you can follow us on Sportscaster when we do some of our live look-ins. And uh, anything you want to add, Andy, before the key send-off? 
no, I'm just saying I'm very excited. This is the first time I feel like walking away from this draft. I'm like, man, we actually had a pretty good draft, and and, and I'm looking forward to the building blocks that we've started. So for me, I'm optimism. Happy. Optimism. I don't know if all Giant fans are happy. You should be happy with Andrew Thomas. I know you're happy. I'm happy. We should all be happy. And as we always like to say, let's go Big Blue.